Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. I'm really excited today because, as I told you last week, I absolutely love this episode, uh, especially because there's my favorite COVID scene. But I really do love this episode. I really think that season four ends better than it started. So yeah, I'm really excited. I hope you are too. We're here to talk about episode eight of season four of Downton Abbey that I called The One with the Bazaar. Not very complicated title, but sometimes when it's obvious, it's obvious. I almost called it something like the one where Kra literally asks everyone to help her with the bazaar, but you know, it's a bit too long. So <laughs> let's just call it the one with the bazaar. And let's start, shall we? Let's just start with the bazaar, just to say, because it's through the whole episode, you only hear about it. And like I said, Kora asking everyone to help her with this bazaar. So let's just talk about this a bit. So it starts. Beginning of the episode, Rose is on the telephone and Crack comes past her and she says that she needs help for the bazaar. That apparently Robert usually did it, but he's not here, so she needs help because she realizes that she has a lot to do and that she will not be ready. And then later on, Rosamond comes to Downton and she says to Cora that she can help if she wants. And Cora is like, oh, you might regret saying that, but if you want, I won't say no. But you see that downstairs, it's all hands on deck. Plus, you know, Carson is like, you know, everything has to be perfect. So everyone has to work for the bazaar to be ready. Maybe that's why I kind of love this episode as well, because Cora is really like, I have so many things to do. I don't know what to do. Like, there's a moment she's in the library. And she's like, OK, I don't know what to do because I have to find another ice cream man and then you have that person that person they hate each other so they can't be side by side so I don't know what to do like she said half the village hates the other half so how am I supposed to do that and I have to discuss the menu with Mrs. Passmore like I have too many things to do but Mary helps her like Mary says well I can do the menus with Mrs. Patmore and then it starts to put everything up for the bazaar and uh, everyone is helping and she's like Cora she's checking everything with Carson but there's something that I have noticed the first clip we see when Cora and Carson are walking outside when, you know, they start to prepare everything for the bazaar, she does not have the same outfit that she has, like, the clip just after that, where we see her, like, up close. Like, she has a blue skirt and a blue top. I don't know if it's, like, an ensemble, but yeah. And then she has a white top and a blue skirt. And I find it quite odd. It's really short, that moment, but she does not have the same outfit. Actually, the first outfit that we see, we see it the next day when they're all in the hall and you have, you know, Rose and Tom and Edith and Rosamond all here to, again, install the bazaar. I, th I thought it was quite weird that they made that mistake. Or I'm just, I just have really bad eyes. But for me, it's not the same outfit. Like, yeah, just tell me if you ever, like, we watched this episode and noticed that too. But anyway, so they check that everything is ship-shape and, you know, Miss Parmore, she prepares food and drinks for the people that are here to help install everything. And so James and Moses, they're actually on duty of serving, like, the drinks and the sandwiches. 
And so the day before the bazaar, like it's the last day of preparation, Carson is in the servant's hall. He makes a speech like, you know, um, everything needs to be ship because everything that is badly done would reflect badly on the family. And like Mrs. Hughes says, and we wouldn't want that. He's like, absolutely not. Like, you know, everything has to be perfect. And so, like I said, everyone uh, from upstairs is in the hall to prepare everything and because the bazaar is the next day. But you see what I love is you see how Cora, she's fed up by the whole thing. She's like, I just can't wait for it to be over. <laughs> and so then it's the bazaar and uh, it looks like everyone is having fun. Everyone is helping or serving drinks or stuff. You can see Mary walking with George in her in her arms before she uh, gave it back to Nanya. It was really sweet. You have James serving the punch and drinking it. And Carson is like, yeah, you know what? You're going to do something else. Christ said that they could enjoy themselves. So because obviously she's nice and they're like, you have worked well, so you can enjoy yourself. But Carson's like, yeah, but I'm telling you not to. So yeah. <laughs> And then, well, some things happen during the bazaar, but we're going to talk about that when I'm going to talk about each individual storyline. But I also love, like, you have a tiny moment where you see Anna playing with Sibby and Tom. Well, Sibby is in Tom's arms, and they're, like, playing at, um, you know, fishing the, the ducks. So I don't know how you say that in English, but you know what I mean. I hope so. And, you know, it's the end of the bazaar and it's over. So you, you really like all this for one day. <laughs> it's always like that. But, you know, all that hard work for that. But apparently the bazaar was a success. So that's all that matters. You know, even Isabel said that's the best bazaar she's known. Well, like Vitus, I yes, at least since she run it with Robert's father. But yeah. So in the end... Cora, she was like, oh my god, the bazaar. But in the end, a success and she did well. So yeah, it was just too sad to turn because the bazaar is everywhere, literally uh, in every storyline. So just to set a bit like the ambiance of the bazaar. And now um, we're going to talk about each storyline. Let's start with our love triangle. Yeah, because, you know, Jimmy is out of the picture. So just between Ivy, Alfred and Daisy. Ivy, she receives a letter. And you see, there's something in that letter because she acts strange. Mrs. Papmore, she wants to know uh, what is it because she sees, I mean, you are not like your usual self. And she says that she had a letter from Alfred and apparently Alfred wants to marry her. But Ivy says to Mrs. Papmore that she doesn't want to marry him. Uh, but like he had a whole plan, like he wanted her to come to London, that she could find a job there, like he had everything planned out, but she says that she doesn't want to marry him, like she says, you know, I don't know what life has in store, like I don't want to settle now, and like I, I want to live before, you know, getting married and getting settled. But every time they talk, uh, sometimes Daisy comes in and, you know, they don't want to say anything to her because they know that, especially Miss Patmore, she knows that it would hurt her. But she senses that there's something because she's not stupid. Then apparently Alfred, well, he wants to come because the whole thing is that his father has died. You know, last episode he was ill, but actually his father is dead. And so he is coming back for the funeral. And so when he comes back, you want to see Ivy and ask her to marry him. Well, I think the plan is he wants to uh, like see her and take her with him when he goes back to London. I think that was the plan. 
So they talk about that, but Iris like, I don't want to marry him, like, I'm sure. But Daisy wants to know what happens, like, okay, uh, something is happening, I can sense it, like, just say it. And so Iris tells her that Alfred is coming back, and uh, that, you know, he asked her to marry him, but she said no. And so Daisy's just <laughs> angry, she's like, oh, okay, so now you've really broken his heart. And you're like, oh, okay... Whatever she would have said, it feels like it would never have been the right answer. But he would be here for the bazaar. And Mrs. Patmore, she is worried for Daisy. So she asked Mrs. Hughes if she can give Daisy her day off so that she could be somewhere else when Alfred would be here. Mrs. Hughes is like, you know what? If you want, because you will be the one with the extra work if Daisy's not here. So if you think you can spare her, I'm okay with it. And so they talk about it together, Daisy and Mrs. Patmore. And Mrs. Patmore says, you know, if you want to be away, you can. And so Daisy decides to go see Mr. Mason. And so she is with Mr. Mason. It's very sweet. I, I love Mr. Mason. They have a little picnic. Like, it's really, really cute. And while, you know, they're together, Alfred, he is at the bazaar and he talks with Ivy and he actually apologizes. He, say, he says, I'm sorry, like he understood things wrong because the last time he was there, she was so nice to him. You know, she says she was really pleased to see him and he says, you just you just want to be kind, you know, and he understood that as a oh you love me as much as I love you but she just wanted to be friends I really like that that he apologizes really saying I just understood things wrong and so then they part as friends and then he wants to speak to Daisy but Daisy is not here because she is with Mr. Mason and actually Mr. Mason he kind of understood uh, what happened here and he asked Daisy are you here to avoid Alfred she says that, yes, she is because uh, Ivy turned him down and he's going to be heartbroken and she didn't want to see that. Mr. Mason, he says to her that she should say goodbye because she loved him. He even says there will not be a lot of people that you will love in your life and so it's best if you say goodbye and make peace with the whole situation just to close that chapter and move on. So Daisy is back just before Alfred leaves. And she's here with a basket with a lot of like food stuff to drink that Mr. Mason made for Alfred. And so they talk and he says that he has been a fool and that he was blind because he realizes now that Ivy never liked him the, the way he liked her. But the Izzy was the one who really loved him. So that's why he says he's been a fool. Like he was right under his nose and he never really noticed it. And then she said that she loved him, but that now, you know, it's like, it's all right. And she says that she wishes him well and they part as friends. And I love this and it's really sweet. Like that's why Alfred, I can't dislike him. The whole thing, you know, apologizing to Ivy because he understood things wrong and then wanting to say goodbye to Daisy because he realizes that, well, she was the one who really uh, loved him. Like, I thought all that was rather sweet. But you see that Mrs. Hughes, Mr. Carson and Mrs. Papmore are all worried for Daisy because they know the, the whole thing, you know, between Daisy, Ivy, Alfred. And then Alfred, he leaves. And Daisy, she... Like, Mrs. will ask her how she's doing, and she's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going, like, to change, and I'll be right back. But Mrs. Palmo, she senses that, you know, she's not completely well, because, I mean, that's, you know, she really loved Alfred, and Alfred, now it's a proper goodbye, because he will not be back. So Daisy is outside, and Mrs. Palmo comes to talk to her. This scene is very, very, very sweet. I love it. Mrs. Palmo, she says to her, Do you know... When you brought up that basket, I was so proud of you. 
I felt like crying out. If you were my own daughter, I couldn't be prouder than I am now. I just love it because you see how their relationship has evolved, you know, from season one to now for all those years. Mrs. Papmore is really like a mother figure for Daisy and Daisy is like a daughter to her. And I absolutely love that. And I thought this scene was very, very sweet. But so that's the end of the whole love square triangle whatever <laughs> geometrical situation like it's over because Alfred will not be back and maybe now things will get better between Ivy and Daisy because you know like this story this chapter is done you know so maybe we'll get better between them two now let's talk about Tom because where well, Tommy's always still lost, you know, he doesn't know where he belongs. And when they all have tea in the library, he talks with Isabel. And apparently they are looking for candidates for the local council or something like that. And she says that, um, to Tom that maybe he could apply. And he's like, well, I don't know what my politics are these days. And she's like, maybe you could read about it. He's like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to find books on socialism in the library at Downton. <laughs> And so he says, well, you know, you said that you uh, wanted to drive me into thirst, so maybe we could find some book then. I love the fact that she really wants him to kind of have his own life and not just be like be part of the family, but with him being himself and not just like try to fit Yes, try to fit in, but not to be like a copy or something like that. Not becoming someone that he's not. Don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah. And so he is with her in Thursday and things happen, but that concerns another storyline. So we're going to talk about that later. And when he brings her home, they bump into Sarah Bunting. Well, they bump into, so that woman who was at the political meeting he went to last episode. So we know now that she is called Sarah Bunting. And they talk a bit. You think that she's a bit surprised that he is who he is because now she knows who he is. Like he is the son-in-law and the agent of Lord Grantham. And Isabel, she speaks for him. At first, he doesn't want to speak for himself. And Isabel's like, well, I, I will, you know, like he's a political thinker and he questions his beliefs and stuff like that. Anyway, but then she leaves. And so you learn that she works at the school. But I just love <laughs> When she leaves, Isabel says, well, she knows her own mind. <laughs> and Tommy's like, yeah, I think she does. <laughs> but you, yeah, you sense that she has a strong character. And then later, Tommy's in his car and he bumps into her again on the road. And apparently her car's backed in. And so he says that he can take a look. And so while he takes a look at the car, she's like, well, are you sure you should do that? He's like, well, you don't know all of my story because, uh, well, you know, I arrived at Downton uh, as the chauffeur. So yeah, I know about cars. They talk a bit about his story saying that, well, that she heard about Sybil dying. And then she even says that it was nice of them, so of the family, to let him stay on and have a life here. In a way, she says, I mean, in all the lights, he's like, well, what? do you have against them? It's like, well, just as a rule, I don't warm up to the type. And Tommy answers, I don't believe in types. I believe in people. And I quite like that because when Tom arrived at Downton, he had the same speech that she has. Like, he didn't like them because it was their type he didn't like. It was even like, 
you know, his lordship is a nice man and a decent employer and all that, but he's still part of the aristocracy. And now he kind of changed his tune while being among the aristocracy, being among the family and having been married to Sybil that, you know, yes, you have types of people, but in the aristocracy, you have really nice people and you have assholes and in people like in the village, you have the same, like, you know, even in the doctors, you know, you have some really good doctors that are nice people and you have assholes, you know. We all remember Sir Philip Tapsell. Let's just not think about that now. But, you know, I think it's quite weird because it really changes tune. And I understand why he's lost. But I do feel like I prefer him in that way than being angry all the time. Because I believe that if you, like, hate or dislike a type of people, you are angry all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. But I quite like it. But in a way, she has this, uh, the same views that he had when he arrived at Downton. But anyway, and then he actually fixes her car. So that's good. And then he bumps into her again while they are installing the bazaar. Like the day before the bazaar, actually. And when they're together, Cora, she uh, interrupts. And so Tom, he introduced her to Miss Bunting. And at first, Miss Bunting is like, yes, hello. And he's like, you know, Lady Grantham. And he's like, oh, oh okay and so it's quite interesting that she works at the school so in the village of downtime but she has no idea what the countess looks like like i don't know i find it quite weird when you know that there's a lot of events where you know it's like there's the whole village like, i don't know if you have the bizarre but like you have lots of things sometimes happening or the cricket match and you have village and the family getting together and she doesn't know what Cora looks like. You know what I mean? Like, I know there are a lot of people at that time who has no idea what the queen and the king looks like, but even that sounds weird because it's 1922. So, I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe it's not that unusual, but yeah, I don't know. But I just like that moment when she's like, mm hmm. And then, oh, that's Lady Grantham. <laughs> Anyway, we are going to see her again. And I already told you that I don't really like her. Well, it's only going to get worse, I think. But, well, we just have to wait and see. Bananas. Now, Edith. Or should I say, poor Edith. So, remember last episode, she told Rosamond that she was pregnant and she wanted to get rid of the baby, but in the end she said not to. And so she has to come up with a plan because well she's still pregnant and at first she said well I should tell my mother at some point but yeah like you see she, well obviously she'll be completely lost because uh <laughs> what should she do so this episode it actually starts with Mary Edith and Tom going to see the pigs and so they are with Mr. Drew and they asked actually this Mr. Drew to take care of the pigs but just when they say that and he, he won't say, he's like, I'm, I'm so grateful all you fa the family has done for me. It's Robert who insisted that he should stay on. Like, he wanted to stay. And so Robert, he gave him the money so that he could pay the debts and all that. And he says, well, I let me know how I could repay like all your family has done for me. And you realize that through that, Edith, she is, I can even say she looks at him with admiration. And you see, like, there's something in the way she looks at him when he says, no, let me know when I can repay the debt or something like that. 
Later, when they all have tea in the library, Edith, she is with Violet. And Violet tells her that Rosamond has spoken to her and said that Edith needed to be taken care of. And at first, Edith is like, oh, excuse me, what? <laughs> what did she say? And Violet is intrigued by Edith's reaction. She realizes that there is something, you know. And just the fact that Rosamond telephoned her and say, oh, you need to take care of Edith. Like, <laughs> there's something. And then at breakfast, you have Edith, Rose, Tom, Charles, and Evelyn. And they talk about Mr. Drew. And Edith, she says, I think he's rather splendid. So you see, like, she likes this Mr. Drew. And then she's on the telephone with Rosamond. And Edith tells her that she thinks she had an idea. And then Rosamond said that she will come for the bazaar. Well, first she says that she will come to see how Violet is because, you know, she was ill. And... Uh, when she was at the telephone, Mary was not far. And so then Mary asked her who it was. And it is she asked Mary why she's down so early. So apparently she wanted to check some things with Tom before he goes into Thursk. And Edith, she tells her. Quite the businesswoman. We must rise to life's challenges. Yes, I suppose we must. We must rise to life's challenges. You're like... Yeah, well, poor Edith, that, that's that's a big challenge, what she has to deal with. And then Rosamond is here, and Edith talks to her uh, that alone in the library was while everyone else is in the drawing room. And she says that she has found a way for her to keep the baby. Like she wants to give the baby to the Druze. Rosamond, she's like, this is such a bad idea. Like, first, suppose the farmer talks, suppose you talk, suppose someone finds that the baby looks like you. Suppose, like, you want to visit, uh, but you visit too many times and these people are getting suspicious. Like, there's so many things that could go wrong and this is not a good idea. And she says that, she said, why don't we just go somewhere, like abroad, and we give the baby for adoption there. And Cora interrupts. And... Rosamond actually tells her of her plan. Apparently, she says <laughs> that she all she has always wanted to speak better French, and so she decided to go to Switzerland to really learn it. And I really like actually this conversation because Cora is like, "Oh, so not to France, you know, to speak French, you don't want to go to France." Rosamond's like, "Oh, you know what the French, <laughs> what the French are like." It makes me laugh. I find it really funny. <laughs> Why Switzerland is so clean and they have wonderful hospitals in case we get ill and so Cora's like what we and so maybe Edith wants to come and Cora's like oh wow what is happening and well Edith says that she would like to and Cora's like oh well I mean yes if you want like golly life's full of surprises (laughs) she says she's surprised but like she's not not happy and I really think that at that moment she has so many things on her mind with the bazaar that she doesn't really realize what is happening like Edith leaving but at the same time I'm like maybe she is like she doesn't question that much because she knows that Edith is not feeling worse since because of the whole Michael Gregson thing and we have to be like you have to be realistic the guy no one has heard of him for weeks and weeks months and months so the guy's probably dead. So I think she's like, you know, if she wants to go abroad, it might cheer herself up and change her mind of things. I mean, I think she kind of thinks, why not? You know, like she's still young and she doesn't have a child. <laughs> you know, like she she can live a little. <laughs> but I just love it because I just love her face. Like, it's just so funny. Anyway, yeah. And so Edith, she, you see that she's quite grateful for the whole thing. She do, she says to Rosamond, can you really afford to spend four months in the apps with me and doing nothing? It's like, well, why us? Because I am the one who proposed the thing. So yes, because Rosamond said that she will pay. 
And so at dinner, they talk about this news. Well, actually, I don't think they went to bring this up at dinner because they had guests, but it's Cora who, again, wants to change the subject because the boys were fighting over Mary. And she thought, oh, I'm going to try into something quite positive. You know, Edith and Rosamond are going on a sabbatical. <laughs> They're like, oh, that would have been better if you did not say that. But anyway. So yeah, they said that Rosamond wants to go uh, in Switzerland to improve her French. And Edith wants to go with her. And Mary, she's suspicious. Like, why do you want to go there? You don't want to improve your French. And then she teases her, uh, saying, oh, is just something linked to Michael Gregson? I just don't understand why Mary is teasing her like that. Like, Tom is right, it's much more serious. The guy has disappeared. And the way Mary says that, it's like, uh -huh, you know, like your editor uh, that you love and who disappeared. Like, it's something funny. Like, I understand why she must act like that all the time with Edith. But I'm glad that Tom stopped her. Anyway, but <laughs> Violet, she is suspicious. You see it. She's like, okay, there is something. And so she asked Rosamond and Edith to come see her at the Dow House and she said that she wants to know what is happening. Like there's a story of this trip that you want to make and then Rosamond who just called to say that Edith is to be cherished, like something is happening. And I just love how Rosamond she tries to act very innocent, like, oh, there's something. And Violet, oh, I love it. Rosamond has no interest in French. If she wishes to be understood by a foreigner, she shuts. And so, you know, are you going to tell me something in the truth? And it is just like, I'm afraid if I tell you the truth, you will never speak to me again. It's like, oh, so you have to tell me the truth, but now you have to tell me like the details. And then Edith was at Violet's for luncheon with Isabel and Lord Merton. And they talk, Violet and Edith. And Violet, she says that she thinks that Rosamond is right. Because having the child here at Downton would be like a Damocles sword over her head. It would be like a danger all the time being there because, like Rosamond said, suppose someone talks and, and then, you know, trouble. And she said actually that she would pay. And she says, you know, because you'll be quite enough into Rosamond's debt, so I will pay. But I really like this moment because we don't have a lot of moments like that between just Edith and Violet. Violet and Mary, we had a lot. And I quite like that at that moment, she she's not angry. I think she just wants, she actually just wants to help her. So obviously, you know, Edith, she would love to keep her child. But she, what she wants now, it's for Edith to be able to have a life and to be as happy as she can with the situation without, you know, um, having this big scandal, drama, whatever and because this would tarnish her reputation. So I, I really like that. I think it's sweet um, that we have at a moment like that between Violet and Edith. And I'm sad that we didn't have before. And even then when they're preparing the bazaar and Edith, she is holding quite heavy stuff. And Rosamond, she's worried, she, should you do that? And the way Edith says, well, what are you afraid of that I lose the baby? But in a way, like, you know, you all want me to get rid of it anyway. So like, what do you care? But during the bizarre Violet, she's with Edith and you see that she is worried for her. Like I said, it's very endearing to see that because uh, we were used to see Violet with Mary. So I quite like that. And I love when she says, if you want to go and look for Gregson, I will support you. Like, I think this, this is a quite a big statement because to look for a man, you know, it's technically not even engaged. Like this, I think this is really 
stronger statement. No one says, you know, the life is just problems that needs to be solved. No, you have the first one, then you have the next and next, and then you die. When she says that, you're like, okay, thank you. That that has cheered me up no end. Uh, granny, that's nice. I love when she says, why don't you get some ice creams? Like, you know, <laughs> Edith being like, yeah, that, 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 sh- that should solve the problems. I just love how she says that. It feels like almost at that moment, they are back to, I don't know, when Edith was like five and her problem was like Mary stole her door or something like that. But that was really sweet. And I said it again, but I really like that. You see that. Violet, she is really concerned for Edith and she wants to take care of her and I find it really sweet. I'm still a bit upset that Courage doesn't know anything about all this because I do believe that Courage would be on Edith's side, that she would cherish her like, yeah, and that she might find a solution. I don't know, but I'm still quite upset that Courage doesn't know anything about it. But yeah, so apparently Edith is going to Switzerland with Rosamond and she's going to give birth there and leave her child there. Apparently. Bananas. Now, let's talk about Violet and Isabel. At the beginning of the episode, Violet, she is asleep. I quite like it's a tiny moment, but she's asleep in her drawing room where she fell asleep while reading and then Isabel comes in. I just love how in like two seconds she pretends that she was actually reading. Like, no, I did not fall asleep. It's tiny, but I don't know. It makes me laugh. So Isabel, she comes to see how she's doing, you know, because she was ill. And they talk about Harold and stuff. We're going to talk about that later. And Isabel, she is again at the Dower House because Violet asked her to come as an, almost an emergency. And she says, you know, because um, apparently Lord Merton is coming for luncheon. And it was said like ages ago, but now Robert is uh, not here. Uh, he's in America and Cora is too busy with the bazaar and Mary has to go to London. Like there's no one. So she asked Isabel if she could come for luncheon. And uh like, but Rosamond is here. So, yeah, but Rosamond, she can't stand Lord Merton. So no. So oh, maybe Edith might be free. And then Isabel, she says, Oh, I hope so. I'm a feeble substitute for the entire Crawley family. Mm, yes, but you're better than nothing. How warming you make that sound. I swear they have the best conversation every time. It's just so funny. But so the Lord Merton is at the Dower House. So remember, he's Mary's godfather. And the last time we saw him, if I'm not mistaken, was when he came for dinner with his son, Larry. He came for dinner before Mary's wedding. And, you know, he, and you know, Larry, he put like, he drugged Tom and all that. So Lord Merton's at the Dower House. And you see that? Isabel and him are really getting on well. And you see Violet, she looks at him and then they have an exchange. Violet, she keeps looking at like Isabel and Dickie and Isabel and Dickie. It feels like she's watching like a tennis match and her face is like, oh my, oh my, something is happening. And then Isabel's like, well, uh, I should uh, I should go. And Dickie's like, oh, me too. Please let me drive you. And she's like, well, I can walk. Please, I'd like to. And it's like, okay. But Violet's like, oh, something happening. Something is happening. Something is happening. Her face is hilarious. But so then uh, Isabel and Dickie, they talk together uh, when he walks her to her house. She asks him about his sons. Then he asks her about hers. So he forgot that Matthew died. In a way, I can understand because Matthew, like the last time he saw him was probably around the wedding. So that was at least three years ago. 
atheist or something like that. And so, you know, he might have just realized that he forgot who she was because he knew that Mary was married to Matthew, but he didn't, like, for a moment, he forgot that Mrs. Crawley was actually Matthew's mother. But, you know, it's when you watch it, you're like, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> but it's really sweet, you know, because he asked then uh, how Mary is getting on. She's like, well, you know, it was difficult at, at the beginning because, you know, they loved each other, they were happy. But now, the fact they were happy, well, it gives you strength now because you have all those good memories to hold on to. And she's like, I was, we know, because we know that she loved her husband. And that's when Lord Merton tells her that he and his wife were not well suited, so he doesn't have those great memories. But so they part. And later, Violet, she asked Isabel to come because Lord Merton has sent her flowers. But he sends flowers for Isabel as well. And you see the difference of the flowers. Like you see like there's roses, like it's much more, well, romantic in a way, the bouquet for Isabel and the one for Violet. And he wrote the cards and I just thought Isabel wants to read it. And Violet's like, I've read the cards. Isabel's face, like, you you did what? Like, oh, he apologizes for his tactlessness. Was he tactless? He was like, well, he didn't meant to be. How nice. Violet, Violet, her reaction to all that, she's like, okay, mm -hmm, something is definitely happening. <laughs> I just love it. I absolutely love this storyline, like Dickie, Isabel, and with Violet in the middle. I, I really like it. I really do, because it's the first time that we have at the beginning of something between all the people because you know Mary and her suitors there's a moment you're like you know I'm quite fed up with all this and really the youngsters are like I like you but damn this is much more interesting <laughs> I don't know about you but I'm much more invested in this than in Mary's and her suitors but so I'm, I'm so excited to well see how it will go on talking about relationship and suitors and uh, yeah stuff like that let's talk about rose and jack <laughs> the last time we uh we left rose and jack on the boat and so in this episode at the beginning rose she's on the telephone with a friend but you hear it's a male maid's voice and she's like oh, we're gonna have such a lovely day and you know you're not stupid you understand pretty quickly that she's on the telephone with jack ross and at breakfast the next day Evelyn asks her what she has planned for today and says that she will go shopping. And when Tom is in Thursk, he sees Rose in a tea room with Jack Cross. And you see, like, she she sits really next to him, like, she stroke his cheek. And so Tom is like, oh my god, oh my god, trouble. And Jack, he, you see that he doesn't want her to be that close to him because he, like, everyone is watching them weirdly. He hopes that they are brave enough for this. And he was like, well, it's their problems if they have a problem with us. It's not ours, you know. Like, she's a bit naive. <laughs> He's like, you know, the daughter of a Marquess with a black singer. Sure. In Yorkshire, that's not something that people could gossip about. Absolutely not. <laughs> I told you I really like Jack Ross and I really like him. Like, you see, he really likes her and she likes him. But then, the, you know, problem, Tom has seen them. And so when Tom and Isabella are coming home, he, he says, Isabel, that he, well, he talk about what he saw. He doesn't say what he saw, but he said, you know, I've seen something. They will get into trouble because of that. 
And so that evening he comes to speak to Mary because I need to say that to someone. And I think Apollo wants to say that to Mary because she's more like a sister to Rose. And he, I think he, fe- he feels more comfortable about saying that to her. So he says that. But he's like, well, I've seen Rose with Jack Ross. I've told you, you know, I've done my, my, my job. It's, it's done. And at the end of, of the dinner, when they're coming, well, they're coming upstairs to go to bed, Crash speaks with Mary and apparently Rose wants to go to London again. And Crash doesn't know what to say. She's, like, she's been enough. Like, you know, she's going to be presented in a couple of months. So it's best if we just not let her go to London. And she's like, but it's really hard because first, it's not her child. So she feels like she can't and she doesn't want to be too harsh or strict, I think. Because she's not her mother. And she's an adult. So, you know, I can't forbid everything. And so, and then they see Rose coming. And Mary's like, no, I would speak to her. Like, I want to speak to her. So Rose, she comes into Mary's room and they're talking about Jack Ross. And Rose, she says that she's going to marry him. That she loves him. And she's, that she doesn't want to hear anything about the fact that he should be horse ripped or anything. Because he's black or I don't know. And even Mary, she's like, don't you know me better than that? Like, I'm not racist you know and we know that in a way yes his color is a problem but like mary she has no nothing against him because of his color he just the whole thing is completely improper i don't even know how to say but yeah and then you understand rose's true motives for being with jack ross and she says that nothing will stop them that they will get married and that she will send it to her mother and she says I want to see her face crumbles when she learns the news the way she says that you realize that maybe she likes Jack Ross but what she wants is to shock her mother it's the main motive of why she's doing what she is doing and then when uh, Mary and Rose are in the library Rose she tells Mary that she's engaged and uh, Mary, you see that she's worried. Like this is this story will definitely not end well. And so Mary, she says that she has to go to London. And so she says to Cora that I cannot tell you, but if you knew why, you would approve. So she doesn't say why, but she's going to London. Rose says she wants to go too, but I just love when she says that. And Cora's like, no, like her face. And Rose when she tells Mary that she can stay at the house at her house if she wants to. And so you understand that if she's going to London that quickly, almost like an emergency is to speak to Jack Ross. She goes to speak with him. Apparently Rose, she telephoned. And so Jack was wondering if Mary would be the one to come. And I just said when Jackie, he says, well, you are here to tell me that Lord Flincher would absolutely not approve of a black singer as uh, his son-in-law, as your father. And then when Mary says, to be fair to Papa, I think, you know, he would find the fact that you're a singer like more shocking than the fact that you are black but I just love this scene because it's that Mary she she try tries to explain to him why they can't be together but in a way to say that it's not their fault technically it's just the society like says no that marriage is really hard even when everyone wants it like it's a challenge and the thing is no one would want that marriage and so they would try to pull them apart. It like says every hour of every day. And she like even tells him, like, you know, I believe in you. Like, I really feel that you love her, but I don't believe Rose loves you not as much as you. Like, she wants to shock her mother. And even Jack says, well, my mother said the same thing. It says that Rose must be proving a point. And we understand that it's that. I think that she really likes him, but she loves the fact of shocking her mother just as much as she loves him. I think that's that. 
And Mary, she says, well, maybe you could put up with everything they would do to you, but I don't think Roses could. That's why I really love Jack, because he says, you know, I enjoyed Rose's dreams, but I would not marry her because I, I love her and I don't want to ruin her life. And I find that so, I love that scene. I find it so beautiful because you can see that the guy really likes her and she's like, he's like, being with me would ruin her life. So I prefer for her to be happy with someone else than with me because like, yeah, like he says, it would ruin her life. He's so much better than Tony Gillingham. My God, I just realized that. I mean, almost everyone is better, but like, I love Jack Ross. You know, he says that he would send her a letter to explain to her that he would not marry her. And uh, when Mary leaves, I love what he says. I wouldn't give in if we lived in even a slightly better world. It may surprise you, Mr. Ross, but if we lived in a better world, I wouldn't want you to. I really like that because you realize that like I said, she tries really to make him understand that it's the society and the world they live in that makes everything in this whole thing not possible. Because Aaron says that, you know, if we lived in better way, I would want you to. Like, you would fight to be together and I would even support you in a way. So, yeah, I quite like that. And I love Jack Ross. I really do. And I really like that scene. But then at the bazaar, Mary, she sees that Rose, she's not feeling well. And so she talks to her. And Rose, like, well, she's just like my mother. And like, okay, please stop for a second because your mother is one of the worst person on the planet so please even if sometimes I don't like Mary because she gets on my nerves and she can be really nasty no she is definitely not like Susan and I like when Mary tells her if you're going to complicate your life do it for the right reasons and I like it because you realize that the reasons why she went to complicate her life was to shock her mother it was not because she was truly in love with Jack Ross so I like that because in a way, it can um, foreshadow where we happen to Rose. You know, the whole, if you're going to complete your life, do it for the right reasons. Because in the future, she might complicate her life, but she would do it for the right reasons. Bananas. Now the moment you've all been waiting for, Mary and her suitors. Because Evelyn Napier and Charles Blake are still here. And so they're having tea in the library. And Mary and Charles, they talk about Mr. Drew and the pigs. Mary, she even takes Charles' defense. When Violet, she says something to, she teases him. And Mary's like, don't be mean, granny, you know. Like, you know, she has warmed up to him. That you can see. And I love, because when they're having tea in the library, the children are brought down. And a woman they hear say, oh, are we too early? Like, is this a problem? And Violet's like, oh my God children i need to leave and i just love cora she's working at the desk but when the children are here like she's so happy she's like well your papa might but he's not here so let's see the kids like she's so cute and she's so happy to see them <laughs> mary she still has a cup of tea and so it's charles who takes george and <laughs> when violet sees that and george, george is actually crying Violet, she's like well i need to leave and Cora's like, no, but stay. You know, you don't have to change. You can stay. She's like, no, 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 no. You should change and I will leave. And she says that while looking at Charles with George in his, in his arms crying. He's like, well, I need to leave right now. I just love it. Like, he really felt like she saw the children. It was like, oh my God, that's my cue to leave. Then Mary, she's in her room with Anna and she says that Tony Gillingham is coming back. He did this trip to fish the spay. That's why he went to downtown when he was going there. And now he's coming back to London. He said, oh, I can stop by downtown again. 
relish. And so even Anna and Bass, they talk about it. They say, well, Tony Gillingham is coming back. <laughs> and Bass like, wait, do you think he's sweet on her? Like, Anna says, well, they're sweet on each other, but it's complicated because there's Mr. Blake. And Bates, is, he's like, but I thought she didn't like him. It's like, yeah, at first, but you know. <laughs> I just love how they casually talk about that. And I mean, it always makes me think about the idea that, yes, uh, for the servants, the family is their soap opera. Like, they see everything's happening. And with Mary and her suitors, there's definitely a lot happening. And at dinner... Cora and Violet has exchanged their places because usually like Violet was sitting at Cora's place and Cora she sits at Robert's place but usually Violet she was on Robert's right so I don't know if they do that every time Robert is not here and Violet is there to say that it's Cora who kind of is like the chef or I don't know and Violet's now like the lady of the house I don't know but I find it quite peculiar because it's the only time I think we've seen that where they have changed the seating arrangement so yeah anyway so Tony, he says that he's been thinking about his life. <laughs> and then they talk about the pigs. Because when well, Rosamond asked Tom about the pigs, and he said, well, quite a story. And, you know, Mary and Mr. Blake were the heroine and the hero. And what I love is you have the conversation and you can see that Crush is like, okay, this, yeah, okay, they're going to fight again. <laughs> and even he's next to her. Like, I just want to say, Evelyn and Cora, I like it. Like, they... Cora, she loves Evelyn. I feel like she loves him almost like a son. I, I just, I just love it. But part of me thinks that she doesn't like having like Charles and Tony fighting for Mary when there's Evelyn because like, oh, poor Evelyn, because he knows he has no chance and he has his heart broken. Maybe just me imagining things, but yeah. Because Charles, he says, Lady Mary was perfectly splendid. And Tony is like, Lady Mary is perfectly splendid. And you're just like, oh my God, like how awkward. And I would have loved for Robert to be here and be in the middle like, what is happening? Okay. Like maybe that would not have happened if Robert was here because, you know, he's Mary's father. But I just, yeah, I love it. But so the next day, Evelyn and Charles, they are leaving with Tony because Tony, he proposed to give them a lift. And so they're okay, they're going to leave. And Cora, she is sad to see them leave. You know, she says that the, the house would feel empty. Even Evelyn said that he would love to stay. And I just love it. She's just so cute. She's just so sweet. I love her. I mean, you already know that, but yeah. <laughs> she talks about the bazaar and she says, do, do, don't you want to stay to help? And Blake's like, oh, don't tempt me. <laughs> and so I love it because then Evelyn, he says, when they're outside, you wish sometimes that he would never leave. And uh, with Cora, she's, they're so cute. Like, you know, he takes her hand. Like, it's actually really cute. Like, I love them. Like, I want to see more of Evelyn and Cora. Because his mother died, remember? In 1913, when Mary was corresponding with him. And just before he came to downtown with Pamuk. And it's about his mother. You know, like, when Cora said that his mother was a friend of hers. And apparently his mother died. So it's been 10 years, at least, since his mother is dead. So Cora, she, she's a bit like... Like his mother, you know. <laughs> I don't know, but I just love it. I love Evelyn. I love Cora. And they're so cute together. Like, I love it. Before leaving, Tony, he talks with Mary. And uh, she says that sh she would never be his mistress. He's like, well, yeah, but I I thought about calling off the engagement. And like, oh, oh, okay. He says that he would tell Mabel, like, face to face. But... Um, he wants to craft the engagement, so you're like, okay, great. <laughs> and Mary doesn't know what to say because she's like, yeah, but I don't know, like it's complicated. Anyway, 
But so everyone is outside and they say goodbye. <laughs> they only and so you have only the girls. They're just so it's like, oh, I'm so sad to see them go. You see that she loved them. I think she quite liked having uh, and now that Robert was not here, that she quite liked having men at home, but like young men, and I think she really loves it. So yeah. I don't know. But so she said that she's sad to see them go just when Rose like we're not as sad as Mary. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. They are so funny. Rose she says. What's a group noun for suitors? What do you think? A desire? A desire of suitors. Very good. I mean, come on, they are so funny. And Mary's like, oh, stop it. But like, I just love it. I love that scene. They're so funny. And so now it's time for my French word of the day. And I chose to give you the word suitor. Because, uh, well, it's quite fitting, you know. <laughs> and in French, suitor, it's prétendant. P-R-E with an acute accent. T-E-N-D-A-N-T. Like Mary, she has a lot of prétendants. So yeah, suitor in French, it's un prétendant. And actually when Rosamund and Edith are at Violet, there's a joke about it. Like they, she even says, well, I wonder like, how long it would take for them to propose to Mary. And they're like, well, isn't Lord Gillingham engaged? Like, yeah, but you know, he, seem, he seems as keen as mustard. Like... I just love how everyone talks about it. Like, when would they propose? Well, technically, Tony, he already did, but yeah. And when Mary, she's in London, you know, for, to talk to Jack Ross, then she decides to have lunch with Tony. And he says that he has called off the engagement. But he says to her that he won't give up. And at that point, he says, well, I, I won't give up until, like, you walk down the aisle with another man, and perhaps not even then. And you're like, oh my God. When you see Jack Ross who was really, well, maybe he's really not with Mary, but the guy literally said, I don't want to ruin her life, so I will give up on her. And then you have Tony say, well, I will never give up on you, even if you are with somebody else and in love and happy. You're like, what? Of course, it's not the same because Tony, he's from the aristocracy and he's not black, but just the character, so different. Like, oh my God, I'm going to get married to Jack Ross. I'm not going to get near to Tony Gillingham. Like, really? I mean, come on. The two men, I just... Yeah, I know you can't really compare the two, but like Tony, he's just so annoying. I love what, what Mary says too, actually. She says, I find that both irritating and, be and beguiling in equal measure. I'm like, I find it irritating. Okay, it's nice to have someone that loves you so much that he will never give up. But at the moment, it's like, stop it. <laughs> well, anyway, and Tony is here at the bazaar to talk to her about something else, what that concerns and I'm Bates, we're going to talk about that after. When he arrives, Edith, she's like, Tony Killingham is here. Like, what? And she's with Rosamond and Violet. They're like, I wonder what Miss Lane Fox makes of all this. And I love what Violet says. I agree, he's the most unconvincing fiancé I've ever come across. Well, now they don't know that he has called off the engagement with Mabel, but I just love it because, yeah. I already told you that I feel quite sorry for Mabel because Tony is really more interesting in Mary. So, yeah. But who's at the bazaar as well? Charles Blake. And he says, well, I've had like a, what, a conference or I don't know, something like that. But then actually he says, well, no, I didn't. I just wanted to see you because apparently he can't stop thinking about her. And like, yeah, another one. Great. <laughs> but I do prefer Charles, you know. And so Charles even speaks to her and, and she says, are you sure? Because, you know, I, I don't know what to say to you. And instead of just adding you to the list of men that have disappointed, maybe it's best to just stop here. He's like, no, nah, I won't stop. Not without a fight. Like, oh my God. 
Yeah. And then actually Tony said, where, where have you been hiding? In plain sight. I just, I find it quite funny. I'm not going to lie that they fight, but at the same time, it's a bit irritating, but like, it's a bit like chi- childish a bit, but I don't know. Anyway, then they leave. And Mary says they're going to see them off because now it's Tony who has Charles a lift back to London. And I just went Mary, so she uh, sees them off. And Robert is back. Well, well, you have seen the episode, so you know Robert is back. We're going to talk about that later. But so Robert is back. And so he sees that Tony is here and Chad is here too. And so when they leave and Mary sees them off, <laughs> I just love his reaction. He's like, what sort of menage has that become when I've been away? <laughs> I just know when he says that and then he turns around and he looks at first his wife and his mother and their reaction like Cora she just turns to her head like I don't know what you're talking about and Violet she's with her drink like I don't know what you're talking about and then you have Isabel, Edith and Rose looking at it like this last scene really it cracks me up like I absolutely love that episode for that. Robert must have been like what the hell happened? I mean that night Cora must have had to do like a summary of everything that happened you know, the pigs and then Mary liking Charles Blake and then you know Tony and them bickering and <laughs> oh my god I mean, maybe not that night because I'm pretty sure that he would have other plans but you know at some point and so now it's time for my music of the day because I had to Charles said that he would not give up without a fight so it's really Charles versus Tony because Evelyn poor Evelyn but he's in the friend zone and actually this that music was inspired by what Mary said I went said that that it would be better for Charles to just you know stop now instead of being added to her list of men that she has disappointed. Boys only want love if it's torture. Don't say I didn't say I didn't warn ya. Boys only want love if it's torture. Don't say I didn't say I didn't warn ya. So that was Blank Space by Taylor Swift. Like I said, what Mary said, instantly I thought about get a long list of ex-lovers. I got a blank space baby and I write your name. I thought about that. And the boys only want love if it's torture because that's literally why it's happening, you know. (laughs) And yeah, I have nothing more to say than that. So, but that would stay true because obviously not the end for Mary and her suitors. And so that would stay true for... Well, everything that will happen, you know, between Mary and her suitors, bananas. Okay, now let's talk about Anna and Bates. When Mary tells Anna that Tony Gingham will be back, she said that Anna, she is not feeling well at all because Tony being back means that his valet will be back too. And Mary, at first, she, when she asked her if there's a problem, she said, well, no, it's not about Mr. Gingham, it's about Mr. Green, his valet. And Mary, she understands. I mean, she sees Anna's reaction, so she understands about Green. 
And she says, at first she wants to tell the police. And Anna says, no, you promise you won't tell. And she said, I must say something to Lord Gillingham. She said, no, you, you can't say anything to anyone. But she says that she's really frightened because the more Mr. Green comes here, the more Mr. Bates is to find out what happened. And she's afraid that he would be hanged, that he would do something, and that then he would be hanged or like they're going to lock him up and throw it and throw away the key. So Mary says, okay, I would just call Lord Gillingham and tell him to not come or to not bring his valet. I would find a way for Green not to come back at Downton. And actually, so that same night Bates that when Bates and I actually talk about Gingham and um, and Blake and Mary then Bates he asks if Mr. Green will be back and so the moment he says his name Anna instantly not feeling well and he even asks her have you gone off him it's like what do you say that would no you seem to you were so keen on him it's just like mm, I don't recall like but she obviously he senses that she acts differently but that would be completely normal but yeah you even see that she's not feeling well by just him talking about green and he has felt that she is not all right and um then anna is with mary again and mary like the next day and mary tells her that she couldn't ask tony like she couldn't have a king game on the phone tell him to not bring green so she's very sorry about that and anna's like well it's okay at least you've tried but then she's crying and Mrs. Hsu, she comes to the world so you've heard and she's like, please don't give me away. Like, I can face this. And so then Green is here and they're in the servants' hall and have the dinner. And uh, he said that he's really happy to go back in London because Scotland, like, he didn't like it. And so at first, mostly he's like, are you two going to say something, uh, Mrs. Hughes? Because Mrs. Hughes, she is Scottish. She's like, well, you know, Mr. Green can think what he likes, but they always have this battle. Like they Usually they always sit across from each other and they will have, have this battle, like eye battle, you know, between the two of them. Because Mrs. Hughes, every time she's, she sees him, she tries to kill him with, with her look, but doesn't work, but she tries. And so then Bates, he asks him where he stays when they're in London. And so he says where they are, you know, with the Gillingham. And first, so you're like, uh-huh, Bates, why do you talk to that man? And asking that. It sounds really innocent. But, I mean, you know, nothing is innocent. So, you know, we know Bates. So you're like, okay. And before Tony Gillingham leaves, Mary, she asks him about Green. And he says, well, I don't really like him. He, he even said it. Said, but why? He said, no, nothing particular. But um, even Mary, when she looks at him, she's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> And then, you know, Mary, she has to go to London and Anna is in the bedroom with Bates and she says that she has to go to London and that she will come back late the next day. And then she even feels sorry that like, I'm going to London and, and I've robbed you of going to New York. And he's like, come on, it's not the same. You're going for like two days and it's London. You know, you can go to London. But because she's going to be away for a whole day, Bates, he asks Carson if he can go to York. And Carson's like, what? Well, I don't see why not. So you're like, mm-hmm, suspicious. And uh, so Mary is with Anna at Rosamond's when they're in London. And she tells her that she will see Tony for luncheon the next day. And she says that she will ask him to sack Green. She would not give him a reason, but said, I can't not ask him to do that. Like, because you see that she really wants to help Anna, but Anna doesn't want to say anything to the police or, or to anyone. So she, this is the only way she has found to help her is to ask Tony to sack the guy so that, because she realized that Tony will probably come back. So at least if he comes back, Green will not be here. And so she's at luncheon with Tony and she asks him to sack Green and says, well, you can at least tell me why. 
because yes, I don't like him, but he did nothing wrong. Like he did his nothing wrong with his job. You know? And he says that he did something that you found absolutely horrible. And I cannot tell you what it is, but you would agree with me. So he's like, I believe you. I love you and I believe you. And like, anyway, but you're like, thank God that he loves her because he says that he would do it. And when they're home, Anna is in the boot room again. <laughs> the boot room is like the new servants' hall. Like, usually when everything happened between the servants, you know, it was always in the servants' hall. Now it's the boot room. Don't ask me why. I don't understand. But anyway. And Carson, he just asks Bates, how was it in York? And Bates like, oh yeah, it was, it was fine. Anna, she's like, why did you go to York? Like, what is it about? Like, she finds it suspicious. And Tony then is at the bazaar, and actually he came to see Mary to tell her that Green is dead. And he even says, yeah, it was so weird after our conversation that I had to come and tell you because that was weird. You know, you tell me that I have to sack him and then the guy dies. And so she tells Anna. Anna is a bit worried. Apparently he fell into the road and like a bus or something or car hit him and he died. And obviously she has a bad feeling that maybe Bates did something. And Mary too. And when Mary, she talks with Charles, she actually asks him uh, what would he do if he suspected someone from a crime. But he didn't blame that person because, you know, he said that he was even right to do that. And he says that he would say nothing. So basically she asks him, but no, because I think Bates might have killed someone, but that someone deserved it. So, you know, what should I do? And he said that he would say nothing. But you see that Mary, so she suspects. Bates and Anna a bit too well she's afraid I think she almost is afraid to suspect him but when that night it's like just before they're going home she wants to know what he did in York he said well nothing and nothing well, he did he doesn't say what he did in York she asked him you would never do something that could uh, ruin everything we tried to be together right you know and he said well you know me I'll, I'll never do anything if I don't have the right reasons or something like that I can't remember now exactly what he says but like he answers in a really weird way you know instead of just saying of course not you're like excuse me he almost like to say of course not, I would never do anything to ruin what we'd be together, except if I have really good reasons, like, except if I had, like, my good reasons, like, he attacked you, and so I killed the guy. So, you see that Anna, she is not at ease, like, she is, she is not feeling well, like, I think she is really afraid of thinking that he did it, you know, of, she's even afraid of suspecting him, because she's afraid for him, like, I don't think she's afraid in a way that, oh my god, my husband is a murderer, I think it's more like, if the police find out he's dead or he will be in prison and he would never come out. So, yeah. So in a way, we're not going to be sorry and we're not, not going to cry for Mr. Green because he got what he deserved. But now you're like, did Bates do it? Like, you know, you don't really know. And Mary suspects him and Anna suspects him and we suspect him. So, yeah, this whole thing is quite weird because he was away for a day and he doesn't want to say what he did. So, yeah, everything is suspicious. And, well, I mean, we just have to wait and see what's going to happen because right now everything is a bit suspicious. Bananas. Now let's talk a bit about Miss Baxter and Mr. Mosley. When Baxter is in the servants' hall uh, with her sewing machine, uh, she asks him if it's true that he was a valet for the late Mr. Crawley, and he says yes, and that was the butler for his mother. And then he says, "Look what I am now, and not just a footman." And she says, "Well, you can climb up again." It's like, "Well, I don't think so," you know. <laughs> she says, "Well, you know, I had things happening in my life." 
and I thought that it was it. And now look at me, I'm ladies made to count it. So if I did it, you can do it too. And so you see that she's a bit curious. Like, well, you got me curious. Like, I want to know more about your life. And then she tries to casually ask him about Bates and Anna. So like, do you think Mr. and Mrs. Bates had a falling out? <laughs> Just almost like, Mr. and Mrs. Bates? That's not likely. And I like it because, you know, he liked Anna. And I just love that now he's like, Mr. and Mrs. Bates. I mean, there's nothing that could tear them apart. And then she is still suing. Well, it's another day and she is still suing. Like, well, it looks like it's something else. Anyway. And so Mosley, he asks her if she wants to have a coffee with him. At first he says, no, he's like, well, it's just coffee. You know, you don't have to give up your independence. <laughs> And so then she accepts and says, you know, like you must have seen that we are not, uh, we do not really like Mr. Barrow, but I hope you do not feel offended by that because he knows that, you know, they know each other. He's like, well, I don't feel offended, so, but I hope you will let us make our own thoughts about you. Like, it's a way to say that it's not because we don't like Mr. Barrow that we cannot like you because it feels like she stays a bit alone in her shell and says, maybe you can just open up a bit and... I don't know, I thought it was quite sweet. And you see that he really likes her and I find it sweet. And when Green is here in the servants' hall, backstory, she actually tells Mosley that she has lived in London, but that it wasn't good for her. It didn't suit her. So again, you see that something's happened in her past. And, you know, and then you're like, you're, you're curious. You want to know what happened because apparently she was in a bad place. And then, like she said, she got up again. Apparently she was in London, but it wasn't good for her. So you're like, what happened and what happened to her must be linked to what Thomas has against her. So yeah, you're like, you want to know, you're like Mosley, you're curious, you want to know more about her life. And actually you just, it's tiny, but I really like it. It's when they're uh, prepare the bazaar and Mosley and Jimmy are in the kitchen because they are looking for the drink, right? because they're serving drinks and sandwiches to the people that are here to install the, the bazaar. And he asked Miss Baxter, he said, will you come? I hope you will come you know, to the bazaar, you know, I'm sure you will enjoy it. And Jimmy, he teased him, he said, well, I'm sure you can make her enjoy it or something like that. Or you can make it enjoyable for her, Mr. Mosley. And well, Mosley is a bit embarrassed, but I just like that he teases because Jimmy, he has seen that Mosley likes Baxter. And Miss Fafford's like, oh, just leave him alone, you know? <laughs> it feels like everyone has noticed. <laughs> and I don't know, for once, I thought Jimmy said something quite funny. So, yeah. And again, just where the last day, the day before the bazaar, where, you know, Carson is like, everything has to be shipshape. And they talk about, you know, the, the bazaar and the... And Mosley's like, no, everyone is here. It's not just the tenants, so it's for everybody. And Baxter, she tells him that he's lucky. And he's like, what? So, well, you're lucky to have grown up, you know, in, in a place where everyone knows each other, respects each other, like each other. But, you know, you're lucky. And he's like, I'm not used to feeling lucky. And it's like, well, you should. I'm telling you, you are. And he's like, whoa. Because when you see, you feel like Mosley, he is not lucky, you know, with everything happened to his life. So it, it's quite nice when he's like, I am lucky. They're really cute. But then, you know, when Charles and Mary are talking about Bates, you see that Baxter in the background, she is watching them. And we don't know if she has heard what they say, but the way she's watching them feels like she is hearing what they say because, you know, she tries to have information on Anna and Bates. So, yeah. 
And then I really like that too. Jimmy, he tries a game with a hammer and, well, anyway, he doesn't, he can't manage it. So he's a bit upset. And Baxter, she asks Mosley to do it. And Mosley's like, <laughs> I can't do it. I mean, if Jimmy can't, I mean, I can't. She's like, please, yes, I'm sure you can. Like, I want to watch it. He's like, okay. And he managed. Like, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, well done, Mr. Mosley. He's like, well, it's everything in the arms. But I just love it. They're so cute. I love them. They're really sweet. And well, if Robert is back, Thomas is back too. And so he comes and he wants to know what he can tell him, the, all the, the information she has to say and stuff like that. And mostly he comes to her rescue. And I just always say, we don't need bullying from overseas or something like that. And I love it. I really, really love it. I love already loved Mosley, but I love him even more. And I really like Miss Baxter. I think they're really cute. I really like Baxter because I already said the last episode, but I realized that she's really torn. I think a power wants to know the story with Anna and Bates. It feels like she can't help but listening to stuff that's been said about them. Because I think she's a bit afraid of Thomas, but at the same time, she doesn't want to say anything because she realized that it's something that is really serious. Because it realizes she feels great at Downton. You know, she likes Mr. Mosley. Everyone quite likes her. She likes Cora. Cora likes her. So she like, you know, she likes being there. So yeah. But Miss Baxter and Mr. Mosley, like I, I share them and I love them. And now to end this episode. Because I had to keep that for the end. <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about Harold and, well, Robert, obviously, because Robert is back in this episode. And I have a bit to talk about, so, yeah. When Isabel, she, at the beginning of the episode, she comes to see how Violet is doing. She even says we can go at the big house and ask how Robert is getting on in America. They talk about the teapot dome scandal. And then Isabel, she asks Violet if she has ever met Harold. So, Mr. Levinson, Cora's brother. And Violet, she says that she has met him once at the wedding. And once was quite enough. Oh, I just, I love it. And so you realise that Harold has not put a foot in England since Cora and Robert got married. And that was like more than 30 years ago. And I'm like, in Cora, she must not have been to America a lot. Maybe at the beginning of their marriage and maybe when the girls were little, but not that much. Maybe two or three times, probably, because, then, you know, we had the war and stuff. So, so she has never seen her brother since, almost since she got married. <laughs> so I don't know if they had, like, a really nice relationship or stuff, but yeah. But the way she says that, you can't wait to meet this Harold it teases you that you will see him because when she says and once was quite enough to say okay I want to see Harold like plus he's described as a kind of a playboy and stuff so you're like oh my god who's Cora's brother but so you know Robert has been gone for a while but we don't know how long and I want Rose she asks Cora when he's coming back and she says that she doesn't know and she says that they have received no word from him in days but then, surprise, surprise, during the bazaar, Robert is back. I love that scene. When Catherine sees the car, he says, Mr. Mosey, just tell them when they can park. He's like, oh my God, my God, his lordship's back. His lordship's back. Oh my God. And everyone, like Mary's like, where? And <laughs> Edith comes to you, where come him? Like, I love it. You know, he said that he wanted to surprise them. So he didn't say anything that he was coming back. I just love it. He seems so happy to be back, generally. And... 
since it's summer, he has like this kind of beige outfit. I love it. And they're all happy to see him. And apparently Harold only got a reprimand, so nothing too bad. And Tommy's like, oh, so it was good you came. You know, you made a difference. Like, well, I don't think so, but let's hold on to that fiction. I just love it. He's just so happy. He's so happy to see Bates again. It's like, oh, I've, mi- I've missed you, my best friend. I've missed you. And then... I just love it because he is with Bates and he takes off his coat and he's still like with him and just looks at a moment and he sees her, his wife, that he missed a lot. And oh, I just love it. He sees her, he has heart in his eyes. She has hearts too. Like, oh, they're just so, so, so cute. You're back. I can't believe it. If you knew how many times I'd imagined this scene... And they kiss in front of everybody, like the whole village. Everyone is at the church bazaar. To be fair, I don't think that people actually care. They were all busy to something else. But just the fact that they are literally in the middle of everybody and they kiss. And oh my God, they're so cute. This is my favorite Cobra scene. This is just so cute and beautiful. And they're like... Oh, they're so happy to see each other again. Like, they miss each other so much. Oh, yeah. I love it. And so then, so it's the bazaar. And you see Robert at the moment with his dog. You're like, oh, yeah, because he missed his wife, but he suddenly missed his dog as well. And then he's with Violet, and he's so happy to to be able to drink in public. <laughs> Violet's like, you cannot tell me you did not have a drink the whole time you were there. Even Violet just worried, like, oh my god. He's like, oh, you know, Harold has his uses. But the way he says that, when he wiggles his brows, <laughs> he looks like a teenage boy, really. And then he says that apparently Martha wants to bring Harold to London next summer for Rose's coming out ball because she wants to see another London season before she dies. And Violet is like, oh my god. <laughs> oh no. So you know that we will see them again so the year after i'm so happy because i love martha and i can't wait to see harold well i've already seen them because i've seen the show like multiple times but like i just love it because you i feel like you want to meet this harold you know and i'm really glad that we're going to see martha again and so at the end all the family is gathered and robert he wants to raise a toast and i love this one as well because he wants to raise a toast to cora because he's so proud of her and I love this scene because you have the family but you also have Charles Blake Anthony Gillingham I love it when he comes in well done my dear like and let's just raise a toast to my extraordinary wife who can manage far better when I'm gone like this is so cute like he's just so proud and I just love it because when he says that you see Violet's face like yeah okay you made your point do you have to say that you know out loud like to show your love like that you know but he just I absolutely love that scene as well because he doesn't care if he's in front of the entire family, the world, whatever. He's like, my wife is the best person in the world, so let's just drink to her. I just, yeah, I just love it. And you see, Cora, she's every time she gets compliments, especially from Robert, if it's in front of everybody, she's a bit embarrassed in a way. So she turns all shy and like, oh, thank you. Like she blushes and Ooh, they're so cute. I need to stop that. <laughs> Oh, I just love it. How he smiles and how he's so proud. Like, yeah. How can you not love them? I mean, I, I know there's some moments you're like, oh, okay. But like, just for that, I mean, they're so cute. 
Mm, and so then, you know, they raise a toast and then you have, you know, Tony and Charles, they leave and he worries like, what happened when I was away? But so I want to discuss something with you now because I want to know when Robert's birthday is. Because in Downtime and New Era, Julian Fellows said, well said, he has written a line where Robert says that he was born in July 1865. First, I thought it was 1866, but let's just give that away. But he said that he was born in July. And I feel like with what happened in those last episodes, that it can't be possible. So if you want to make research or having just think about it, I would love to talk about that with you. I would give you my thoughts, but I, I need someone to help me with that. Because for me, it's not possible that Robert was born in July. First, you just have to know. That for me is not possible in the way that I never thought Robert being born in July. Uh, before the second film came out, I had my own idea of when Robert was born. Well, I'm really into astrology, okay? And in my mind, I always thought that Robert was a Taurus. And if Robert is a Taurus, he's born between April the 20th and May the 20th, something like that. It's my opinion, you know. And then Julian said in A New Era that he was born in July. That means he's either a Cancer and a Leo. And I don't believe that. I can't believe that. And I don't want to. And then I thought about the last episode. And so I have a theory. I made research, literally. And I will explain everything that I've researched. And you will tell me what you think. Okay. So we know for sure that the bazaar must be during summer. And for me, it must be either in July or in August. Because I don't see it in September I can't even see it in June, but I feel like those kind of summery things are really in July or August. Like, I don't know if you compare to the other like kind of garden party that we had in the first season, the garden party, it was August the 4th, I think. It was the 4th or the 3rd when, when we had the declaration of war, but I think it was the 4th. Really early August. So I made some research to try to find how long did Robert stay in America. That's the thing we don't know. But... They said that they bought on a Cameronia and I tried to find how long it was like to do a, a sail from England to America. And I had different response because it depends on the, the ship and lots of things. But it is at least five days. Okay. So if you count that he has to come back, it's 10 days of just sailing on the boat. And I will explain why I think that it is possible that Robert was born or late April or uh, the first half of May. So Robert's birthday in, is in is at six. And also based that on when the sun set in Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, I know. I went far. Because you see in that episode, in episode eight, that when they have dinner, you see that there's still light outside, that the sun is still up with the beginning of sunset. And when Charles Blake and Evelyn arrived at Downton in episode six, Chorus said to them that they meet in the drawing room at eight. So that means that they're going to eat around eight or 8.30. And so if they eat at that the same time every day, so around eight, that dinner could be in May, June, July or August, because especially June, July or August, because the day are longer. So you know that this would be set around that. So we you know because it's too bizarre and it has to be in summer. But... When they dine during Robert's birthday, it's dark. And in April, I really checked the sunset time in Yorkshire in 1922. I am not kidding. and But I think it's the same now, but I really wanted to check anyway. Sunset around like eight. And it's getting really dark. Late April, it's getting really dark around nine. And if you start eating around eight or a bit after that, 
it's, it's still dark. So it could be April because in May it has to be a little bit lighter. So it could be late April or early May. The episode maybe is are a couple of days away one from another, but it can't be just the next day. Well, except when we know it, like when Anna was attacked and stuff. But like in episode six, Robert, he receives a letter from Harold and Cora receives a letter as well. Like a letter, technically a letter from America. It would take a couple of days to arrive. And apparently it's the moment that Harold was was in trouble. And I tried to find things about this Teapot Dome scandal. And apparently in April 1922, the US Senate called for an investigation. It was more complicated than that, the whole thing, even though I didn't understand everything. But I looked for, and they called for an investigation in April 1922. So that would mean that it's at that moment that Harold really was in trouble. So that would mean that if the investigation starts in April 1922, it would be the same month or maybe early May that Harold would be like, I'm in trouble, it would send a letter. So that would fit that Robert's birthday would be between like late April and May, okay? Are you following me or not? Well, just tell me what you think. Because then he leaves in episode seven and we know it's a couple of days away because it can't be just the next day. At that moment that he received a telegram from Martha saying, Robert has to be there, has to be in America. And a telegram can take only a couple of minutes, I think, to be sent. So at that moment, it's really urgent. And that could be in May. Like, you know, a couple of days later, it's like, maybe Harold, there's a problem. And he's like, okay, I need to go. You can see even in the, the what they wear, that like, you could feel it, that the weather is better. The days are warmer and stuff. The only thing that is troubling me is that I don't know how long Robert stayed in America, but he must have been a couple of weeks because the way Cora speaks about it, which is we had no words from him in days, that means that he used to send telegrams or letters, like, I don't know, every couple of days. And I'm just like, well, we haven't worked for him in days. So I think he must have been gone for at least a month. Okay, so... If we, we add that, you know, it's at least five days to travel, or say a week, a month could be, yeah, it could be, so you would have left maybe late June. I don't know, but I feel like they've been apart from each other for a long time. But then I thought about Edith, because in episode six, that's when she learned that she was pregnant. It was in the first trimester of pregnancy. And in episode eight, she says to Rosamond, she asks her if she can really afford being away in the Alps for four months. So technically, she must be around her fifth month of pregnancy. So if we're like in August, and she learned that she was pregnant around like maybe the second month or the third one. Yeah, maybe could working was in May. I don't know. I really am completely... Because it can't be that much for Edith. Because I always thought it was, she must have been like in the fourth month. Because after that, she would start to show. So yeah, I'm quite at a loss. But I don't know why I think we're in July. Because I feel like it's nice July. Like because it's the moment where the days are the longest. So tell me what you think. But for me, for me, it's impossible that Robert was born in July because I can't see the garden party happening late August or early September. So for me, it's impossible that Robert's birthday is in July. And for me, the fact that he's a tourist could work. Like he could be born between the 20th of April and the 20th of May. I don't know if I make myself clear, really. Tell me what you think. But this, I've been thinking about that for weeks now. Even months. Well, actually, I've been thinking about that since I have seen the movie. So, and that was when in April last year, anyway. So, yeah, 
that was my question, my theory about when Robert was born. <laughs> and yeah, tell me, well, maybe you absolutely do not care. And I'm sorry if I was not too um, comprehensible, like if it was a bit messy, but my, my mind at that moment is completely messy and my research are a bit, so yeah. Anyway, tell me your thoughts about <laughs> when Robert was born, but tell me, it's not possible that Robert was born in July, right? I don't know, tell me. If you think it's possible because you have the right like numbers and stuff, I would gladly hear your thoughts because this has been keeping me awake, but maybe not, maybe I exaggerate, but just a bit. Anyway, and that's it for this episode. I'm sorry again for the end. I needed to share my thoughts and I hope it will interest someone. But yeah, that was it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I can't stop like grinning. I just love this episode and the end and Robert and Cora are so cute. And yes, but like I said, I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you next week to talk about the Christmas special that is absolutely not set at Christmas, it's during summer, but it's still the Christmas special of season four of Downton Abbey. And until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, and don't forget. Vive le défense! Okay.